Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Real Talk with Nick Anderson. I am here with my friend and fellow coach, Adam Berry, otherwise known as the Gym Starter. How are you, Adam? I'm very well. I'm looking forward to some real talk. That's such a good name. <laughs> it's very American. Right? <laughs> well, the whole how, point how is real, like... How real can talk get? That's what, I'm, that's what I want to find out. That's why I'm here. Yeah, I want it to get as real as possible. Basically, my whole point of this podcast is to just have people spill all their secrets to me and then I can collect <laughs> them and do all these things with them later. No, just kidding. <laughs> You're going to incriminate me, aren't you? You're going to get me um, <laughs> deported from Australia. Please yeah. don't. Just remember you are being recorded and I am yeah, sending absolutely. this to the Australian consulate. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Jesus. <laughs> no one told me this when I agreed to this. Yes. <laughs> That's the catch. Um, so I, we were just talking just a hair beforehand that I know I mentioned that I wanted to talk a little about imposter syndrome. And if you're listening and you don't know what that is, it's basically feeling like you're not qualified to do something that you're doing. And I know you've experienced this. I've experienced this. I experience this every goddamn day. Um, so let me hear a little bit about your experience with it. Well, I don't just I don't just experience it. My entire career is based on it, which is quite a which is quite a statement, I suppose. So, uh, well, th thanks for having me. Firstly, Nick, um, absolute pleasure as always, um, and like your ongoing support and and joy for being in my life is something I, I value and treasure. So, thanks so much for for that. And don't stop um, is my main message to you personally. But yeah, so. Hello to everyone listening and everything else. I'm uh, I'm known as the gym starter, and the reason I'm called the gym starter is literally because I was scared of becoming a personal trainer. Um, I uh, I I when I when I so I've been a personal trainer for I, I say nearly a decade now. I think it's been about eight years. I don't really keep track of things like this, but it's been about eight years, I think. And when I, I had to learn fitness, so I, I didn't really know anything about lifting weights at all when I decided to become a personal trainer. I very much knew how to coach people. I very much knew how to talk to people and, and kind of that was my way in. And all my life, I've had an obsession with building confidence in people. So when I was younger, I, I ran 11 theater schools for primary school children um, in my local area. And, and the whole point of that was to just build confidence in these kids, was to just get them on stage, get them doing what they enjoy, get them doing what they, what will make them happiest, I would hope, without any pressure, like no auditions, no, the best kid gets to do it all. It's just a complete open season. Every kid gets to do what they feel most comfortable doing. And my sole goal is to basically build these kids up. And then I got a bit tired of working with children um, <laughs> like, and parents and stuff like that. You know, I said, it's a completely different world. And I needed to just move on to a different business, basically. And, uh, and I've always thought being a personal trainer would be like one of the most fun jobs the world has to offer. Um, like whenever I was in the gym, I'd be like, those guys are just rock stars. Little did I know there's very, there's very little glamour involved in being in the gym 15 hours a day, lifting weights with people. Um, but I and I always thought, you know, that would be a very fun, interesting thing to find out about. So I just I I just did basically I just went and got on a course and did it. But I mean, I knew nothing about lifting weights, I knew nothing about human physiology. I knew very little about all of it, really. Uh, except that I, because of my background. So I have a background in acting. I'm I'm a professional 
classically trained actor at a conservatoire in London. And all throughout my time at drama school, I, I was coached by amazing acting coaches. And I've taken a lot of that and like I took a lot of that with me sort of into everything I do in life. And I always lived with that. So I always knew that I'd be able to take that forward. And that, that's just that's just basically who I am. I just I'm I'm a coach, I coach people. And so I knew I'd be able to relate that into the fitness space. Just fitness was going to be the mechanism that kind of bridged that gap. Kind of like business was, uh, fitness was going to be why people paid me and coaching was going to be my side of it. But um, so I had to learn fitness. So I've learned all the ins and outs of being a personal trainer. Or I kind of like, I'm not one of these guys who had a great body and then thought, oh, let's turn my hobby into a career. I, I didn't have that at all. Although I thought it'd be fun to be paid to keep fit, basically. And, um, and so from there, I realized all of a sudden, I'm like this skinny dude. I'm like, and I've always been a skinny dude my entire life. And um, this six foot four guy who weighs like 80 kilos, who doesn't really have bumping biceps or anything like that, you know, like no chest to speak of or anything. I was like, there is no way in hell people are going to take me seriously as a personal trainer. So I decided to pretty much exclusively only work with women because I thought women wouldn't care about the size of my chest compared to men. And if I try and market myself to men, there's no way I'm going to be able to train them. There's no way they're going to take me seriously. There's no way in hell are they going to actually listen to what I have to say and, um, and basically pay me as a personal trainer. So I, I basically went made the really strong choice really early on i was like i'm going to target women i'm going to work with women who are about 40 who know as little as i do about physical fitness and um and hopefully i can blag it from there and be a coach to them before i have to be a physical being for them um and over the years i've managed to obviously layer on the physical being side of things and i've, I've you know and now i think i have a good balance of both but i'd still say coaching is my priority um and, and I, I take pride in the fact that I always say I, I change people's brains more than I change their bodies. And I think that's a good way to be. Um, and so, yeah. And so it all stemmed from basically a feeling of complete inadequacy, a feeling of no one is going to believe me, no one's going to trust me, and no one's going to want me unless I take this very important turn and unless I, I do this first. And obviously the truth is not, that's not the truth. Like it, it couldn't be further from the truth. What happened was I, I have a great list of male clients. I always have done. Um, I also have a great list of female clients, but those who, those who want to engage and can see me for my worth are the ones who do. And they're the kind of people I want to work with compared to all of the people I was worried about who would never, it didn't matter how big my chest was. It didn't matter how big my traps were. It doesn't matter how, how much I know they were never going to pay for me anyway, because they just weren't interested in who I am as a person. And so that's really what has happened, but it all stemmed from huge imposter syndrome. Yeah, I think there's a lot interesting about that. And I think part of what makes a great coach is not their knowledge of, oh, this exercise is the most effective for chest development. It's being a coach to a person, like going through struggles of your own and learning from them and adapting to them and being able to translate that from your personal experiences to your clients' experiences. It's like, I don't know, I wouldn't want a mechanic who's never driven a car before to drive my car. Like, I just want him to fix it, you know? 
you know, and you're completely right. Like when you look at when you look at high level sports, when you look at like incredible, incredible um, athletes, like I don't know, let's say a Usain Bolt of the world, or a Rafa Nadal, or a Roger Federer, or even if you take incredible team sports like Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. Um, are they your team? I know you're based oh, in that yeah. part of the world. Absolutely. Right, okay. <laughs> I regret saying that now. Um, but Bill Belichick wasn't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, my knowledge on NFL was okay. It's not great. But he wasn't like a Tom Brady. He wasn't a Dan Marino. He wasn't an exceedingly amazing player. And neither is Roger Federer's coach. Neither is Rafa Nadal's coach. Neither is Alex Ferguson wasn't a great player of football. Um, and look at what he did at Manchester United. Usain Bolt coach, I bet, has never run a 100-meter sprint at a competitive level in his life. Or if he has, it's not international competition. Like, my point being, great coaches do not necessarily make great athletes, and great athletes do not necessarily make great coaches. So you can be a great coach without having to be a great athlete, and you can produce the best out of someone in being a fantastic coach without having to have proved yourself in that particular field yourself physically. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. They're not mutually exclusive. You can, you can be one and not the other. And, and that's not to say that people who are insanely jacked don't make great coaches because they can as well, because they do have that knowledge of what is the most best exercise for chest activation and that's that's cool. That uh, that actually works for a lot of clients who want that. But for the clientele that I think both you and I are searching for, because I come from a similar background, like I haven't been working out for a super long time, maybe like four years, and just recently got into the gym for the first time about a year ago, and had a lot of anxiety in going to the gym. So there are a lot of my clients that for the first time I get them into the gym and they're like, wow, I love this. I, I can't believe I was so scared before. And I'm like, yeah, same. Like, it's crazy. Right. Uh, so yeah. like having yeah. those experiences and, and feeding that into your clients, it's, it's so helpful. And I think it really helps to um, calm that imposter syndrome, just knowing that we've been through these struggles and we know what it's like. I think, I think calming imposter syndrome comes down from being aware of it in the first place. Like once you're aware of it, like it's it's massive right once once you're aware this is something that, that exists and it's something that you experience i experience it's something that people like jordan jordan site experiences or james smith or you know like I, I bet even i bet even rafa nadal feels it i bet even these great athletes feel it. in fact i know they do um you know like they are great actors that i've worked with they experience it I mean, nothing's more, honestly, very few things are more nerve-wracking in this world and nothing makes you feel more inadequate than speaking Shakespeare in front of 2,000 people night in, night out. Like, it rattles your bones. It makes you fearful of what you're about to do. And you pinch yourself and go, hang on, why am I here? Why am I the one that's been chosen to do this? Why am? Why is it me? And how do I square that circle in my head? Because it is me and I, I can't back out. Like, I have no choice. I have to stand on that stage at half past seven and deliver to be or not to be. I can't avoid that. I can't hide behind imposter syndrome. I just have to be aware it's there and then learn how to control it. At drama school, we was always taught, like our voice coach, the guy called Stuart Pierce. And just to give you a bit of background on who this kind of guy is, he once told us a story about how he was traveling through the Sahara Desert with the Dalai Lama. And the Dalai Lama apparently 
they were in an open top car and the Dalai Lama apparently was able to control the weather so that it rained all around them in the middle of the Sahara Desert. So it rained all around them except wherever their car went. Right. This is this is this is the kind of view of the world that Stuart Pierce has. And he's a lovely man. He's just a bit warped. And <laughs> and he'd walk all like this and he wears trousers up to his nipples. And and he has a book out called The Alchemy of Voice, which is a fantastic book, by the way. Um, but that's who Stuart Pierce is. And he used to always say to us, and this is probably one of the biggest take homes I take homes I ever got from kind of my work with him. He used to always say to us, You're always going to experience nerves. You're never going to get over that. Whether you're on film, on TV, on stage, you will always experience nerves. But what you need to do is you need to learn how to make those butterflies fly in formation as opposed to forming, like as opposed to flying chaos. And if you can learn to control that, if you can learn to, to get those butterflies in your stomach moving in a formation, it's going to help drive you forward and you know you've got it under control as opposed to just letting the chaos take over. And Shakespeare as well, he, he writes in five acts. He writes to a, a rhythmic pentameter, um, which is very intricate. Some people might know what I'm talking about, some people might not, but we don't need to get in what an IM pentameter is. But anyway, he wrote to five acts for a reason because he, in the Elizabethan age, chaos was the same as hell. You couldn't have chaos rain down. It, it, you had to have that amount of control over what you was doing. And you had to then find your freedom within that structure without thinking you just need your freedom um and, and when you can when you can think of it like that and when you can get around it in that manner you understand that these constructs exist in the world and they're normal feelings and normal human emotions and for the years like since the time of shakespeare like the 1500s they've been having to deal with this and we have to deal with it in a different manner now but their method of dealing with it is exactly the same as our method of dealing with it in that we give ourselves a structure and a formation and we give ourselves a form that works, i.e. I wanted to work with women because I knew that that would be a formation and a structure that would help me find my flexibility as a coach and help me deliver my message to the world in the same way Shakespeare wrote in five acts and iambic pentameters and stuff like that to help control his brain and the chaos in his brain. He was making the butterflies form in formation, flying formation. And as was I when I decided to work with women, as opposed to just, I'm a personal trainer, let's get the entire world to sign up. I think that's, that's very well put uh, about making your butterflies fly in formation. That's, I've never heard that phrase before. That's awesome. It, it. it kind of makes me think of like, I don't know, just using your anxiety for good, like taking that energy and putting it into a positive manner for you. It was knowing what you would feel most comfortable working with. Um, let me ask you this. Do, do you get being the person that in your own self-described way doesn't have the pumping biceps or the, or the oh, pumping no, I do chest? Now. Wait, excuse me. Excuse me, Nick. <laughs> Just on I mean, this quickly, on this, on, here, so like... <laughs> on, on this quickly, um, two things. One, I had Susan Niebergall on my podcast once and she actually complimented my biceps. And yes. secondly, what is the best exercise for chest activation? Because it's rattling around in my head and I'm sure the listeners are thinking, can you just answer the damn question? <laughs> I love that Susan Niebergall complimented your biceps, like the queen of shoulders complimented oh, your biceps. I know, not just that. She's like the grandmother of fitness, isn't she? She's yes, like, she's like Susan's all of amazing. our nans. 
<laughs> I think we all do. We, yeah. we all wish we all wish we had like she was like that auntie who you see at Christmas or whatever. You know, she's yeah. Anyway, we digress. Sorry, what was the question? Uh, so yeah, with with that, <laughs> with the the body image that you have, yes. like, do you feel imposter syndrome walking into the gym? Not anymore because I value my, I value my. I value my value to others based on my ability as a coach. So I don't, I don't think I no longer think people are judging me based on the size of my body because I know I can show them more value as a coach, as opposed to just in terms of my body. Like it's like anything, isn't it? It's like, um, say you buy a BMW, I mean, I don't know why anyone buy a BMW, but say you buy a BMW, you initially buy the BMW because of a list of reasons. Yeah, like it looks good, um, it drives fast, you've heard they're good cars, so you buy a BMW, right? And then when you're in the BMW, you realize it has so many other features, like I don't know, like lane assist, reverse cameras, stuff like that. And 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 the value upon which, the value upon which you've spent on the BMW. I don't know if this analogy is going to work, but I'm going to go with it anyway. The value upon which you've um, you've put upon the BMW has exponentially grown once you get in it, you get inside it, and you start understanding the car a lot more. And you start seeing how it moves on the road and the traction and how that works and all of these little things, right? So, but you can get all of those benefits from a Skoda, okay, right? But you don't have the you don't have the outer facade of the Skoda. You don't have the social image. You don't have the you don't have the um, I don't know the badge. You don't people don't know that you spent I don't know sixty grand on a car. All of these things. So I view myself as in those moments. I view myself as a Skoda. I'm like once you engage with me, once you start talking to me, once we start having actual conversations about things, you are going to understand why I'm probably one of the best coaches you've ever worked with, right? you might not have been aware of that if you'd have just taken me at face value at my badge value if you'd have just judged me literally based on the size of my biceps so i know that the size of my biceps don't define me anymore um in the eyes of the people that i care about and i think that's the caveat that's what matters yeah skoda don't care about bmw people who are going to buy bmws they don't market to people who are going to buy bmws because they're irrelevant to them because they're never going to buy a skoda because it's a Skoda, right? But yes. Skoda are going to market themselves to people who might buy another low-range vehicle because they know that they can sell the value of Skoda to that person once they get them inside a Skoda. I love how you made that analogy work. You weren't so I have sure no about idea. it, but you did it. I have no it. idea you how I made that work. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's kind of like that old, like I hate cliches, but it's like that old cliche of don't judge a book by its cover. Like right. you open that book and you find out that you're this amazing coach who teaches about mindset, which by the way, is way more important. Like if you're looking for physical changes it for 99% of people, it has to start with a mental change because if you're just like, yeah. you go into it, like, I just want to lose 80 pounds. You have to do some mindset work in order to lose 80 pounds. Let's be real. Yeah. And most people probably won't lose 80 pounds because along the journey, along that mindset journey, they're gonna be like, well, 
losing that much weight isn't worth it. Maybe 60 pounds is great. And then I don't need to lose those last 20 pounds. I look fine. I feel fine where I am. Sorry, I went off on a tangent there, but <laughs> That's right. you're talking to one of the kings of tangents. No, but you're completely right. You um like also, but you have to you have to be able to put yourself in the arms of someone who's gonna who's gonna be able to coach you out of that mindset of you need to you need to um you need to lose 80 pounds. Like I if someone came to me with a goal of losing 80 pounds, say it's a heck of a lot of weight. I would take pride in, I would almost take pride in the fact that I didn't get them to 80 pounds because coaching is more, coaching is more important. There's more that goes onto it than taking someone from A to B. And if you only have the ability to take someone from A to B, i.e. 80 pounds and then to zero pounds, don't nobody weigh zero pounds, please. Um, then you're, you're able to, you're able to get someone who is motivated to do something. And, but anyone could have done that. Like, that's not a testament of you as a coach. Like, you've literally just, like, the science behind how to lose weight and the science behind how to physically change a body, we all know and we can all implement. Like, we all know that. Like, it, there's no secret there. It's not difficult. Every coach in the world should know that if they're worth their salt, right? So it doesn't define who I am as a personal trainer compared to who you are as a personal trainer because we could both do that. We could both take person x and make them lose 80 pounds by just getting them to lose 80 pounds by doing the things that make them lose 80 pounds right but really what defines me from you and you from me and us from others is the incredible nuance that goes along on that journey and the fact that we're able to open somebody's mind to the fact that losing 80 pounds isn't the purpose isn't the point isn't really why they're here it we have to we have to investigate a lot deeper we have to go a lot further we ha and we can only do that by having the ability to build a strong very strong relationship with people and and having very open communication transparency honesty and making sure that that person knows they're in a safe trusting space any coach in the world even your gym bros can make someone lose 80 pounds but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're coaching that person just because they're able to get a result. I could tell you to just drink celery juice every day and you'll lose 80 pounds, but you ain't going to be better off for it. And that's no. not the point. And when I say I, I, I always say I impact people's brains more than I do their bodies. This is what I mean. Anyone can impact the body. Anyone can impact the body because it's literally a method. And that's so easy to execute. But what's not easy to execute is to get someone to execute the method. And that's where, that's where we work. We make someone or we, we somehow manage to get someone to engage in executing the method. The method takes care of itself. Like I could write 10 workouts, you could write 10 workouts, and they're going to be pretty similar because the rules and regulations that dictate that are similar. Yeah, but the actual coaching that goes on behind the scenes is going to exactly. be very different. Like like you said, let's take the guy who tells someone to drink celery juice the whole time. First of all, either your client's going to do it or they're not. Um, in most cases, they're not. And, yeah. and then in most cases, that coach is going to get frustrated and fire that mm. client because they're not doing what they were told to do. When in reality, if they wanted their client to be successful, they should actually do something that's a little more sustainable for that person to do mm -hmm. 
where we're really going off on a coaching tangent here, but I love it. This is Let's actually go. great. Let's go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there's the other person that could, let's say, okay, I don't know if this is an analogy that's going to work either, but let's say there's someone <laughs> that wants to go from Boston to Los Angeles and they're driving to Boston, they're driving from Boston to Los Angeles. And along the way, they stop in Denver and they fucking love Denver. So they stay there. And that's kind of like you losing the 80 pounds, but you stop at 55 because you love how you feel there. And now your goal is to, to stay in Denver and work on getting stronger instead of trying to reach your goal of losing a bunch of fat. And that is something that comes with mindset coaching instead of the person that would just give the celery juice and they'd lose the 80 pounds and then hate themselves during the entire time and miss out on a bunch of social events and birthdays and weddings and all this crap. Yeah, absolutely. The the analogy worked, by the way. And, um, And you're completely right in the sense that and this is like for the listener, let's just say, um, if you're thinking, well, how do I know whether I'm engaging in someone who works in this manner or works in the other manner and things like that? Like, just ask yourself, like, ask yourself some questions. Like, is the person going like, I, some red flags for me in this conversation would be, or like it's a 12 week program and you get a meal plan. You have to do this. These will be your set calories. This is this, this is this, this is this. And you get a Facebook group and you can contact me on the Facebook group and like, that's it. And, 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 and if that's kind of like, if it all feels a bit standoffish, even though this person seems on their Instagram seems to have 20 posts of people getting incredible bodies. And also another key aspect is, does it feel a bit too affordable is it a bit too cheap is it a bit too like oh you know you get 12 weeks for 99 bucks sort of thing like is that like are you like look at it and just ask yourself hang on a sec am i being thrown into a method that might not be sustainable because someone's literally just trying to take me from a to b and there's an awful lot of these people out there and maybe you just want to go to a to b maybe you've got a short-term goal a short-term mindset and you just need to lose x amount of weight for this event or something let's go job done fine be my guest do that it's my pleasure but if you don't want that and you need this slightly more nuanced approach then just look at these things like i could i could literally sell at least i think i could i could literally sell um i don't know a celery juice cleanse let's just say to 100 people and i'll just use 100 because it makes the math easy to 100 people right now of those 100 people i would ask them all to take a before pick right and that before pick will be whatever it is i'll probably get it from let's say 95 percent of those people right so now i've got 95 people who are still in the system i'll then likely to get that before pick from 95 of those people i've now got 95 opportunities to get a result then say they're doing it for two months, say. I mean, no one should do a celery juice detox for two months, but let's say they do it for two months. No one should do a celery juice two- detox ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But let's let's just say let's just say they do it for two months. Let's say the plan is two months and I've sold it all to them for 50, 50 bucks. Yeah. So I've made a fortune doing it anyway. Um 50 bucks, two months. Now, let's say a month in, I've lost another 45 people. So I'm already at 50%. I'm already at 50% of my initial cohort, right? Of what I started with. Yeah, I've still got 50 people who have survived month one. Then let's say through the next 
month, I lose another, so now 50, 50 the number 50 is 100%. So let's now say I lose another 50% over the first two weeks. I'm now down to 25 people. Let's say I lose another... 60% of that, I'm probably down to about 10 people. And then the ones who finally get to the end might be four or five people. Now, I, I, but I get an after pick from them. And that after pick is amazing because they've not eaten anything for three for two months. Mm -hmm. And then I slam that on Instagram and I tell you, this is the program for 50 bucks. It's going to change your life. All you see is the five, like the 2% of the hundred that I got to the end of that course, right? You don't see the 98% of the people that have totally failed. And this can be the danger of going into something like this. It can be the danger of going into something that is literally an A to B method, as opposed to something that is probably slightly higher priced, but encourages much more nuance, has much more coaching, has much more of a discussion, has much more puts you at the center of the relationship, um, as opposed to the coach themselves and basically the next hundred people they're gonna try and target. And not only that, has a much higher success rate at the end of that, what was that a 5% success rate? Five people made it. Yeah. And when you actually hire an in-person coach, like you probably have closer to, I don't know, maybe an 80% success rate there. Obviously you can't help everyone. There are just some people that won't do the things and that's because they're probably not ready yet. And that's okay. And that's part of coaching them too, is just being like, look, you're, you're not at that point yet where you're ready to do this. And one day you will be, and I'll be here when you are, but, yeah. um, and that's a good reason to not trust just transformation pictures. I think transformation pictures are great in their own right, but I think they need to be a little more nuanced than that. Like, I want to know that person's story. I don't want to just see 200 pounds to 100 pounds. I want to know how they got there throughout the whole way. I want to know what they do for a living, how their mental health was throughout the whole process. Like, because that is important. Being a different weight doesn't change your life as much as you think it does. I mean, there are some circumstances where that's true. Like maybe you're very unhealthy and you need to lose weight for your health. And that, that definitely will change your weight, change your weight, change your life. Um, but yeah, if you're just trying to like have abs, what makes your life different from not having abs to having abs. Nobody is friends with you because you have abs or don't. Like that does not define you as a person and it won't change your life. No, I agree. And like, I, I did a TikTok on this a couple of days back, I think, or maybe like, maybe I've not been on TikTok for a while, but yeah, I did a TikTok on this saying like exactly that losing weight will not make you happy. And lots of people come at me and was like, well, it made me happy. I lost this and, and that and this. And there's always a caveat to that statement in that, you know, if you weigh 200 kilograms, then chances are losing weight is going to improve your life. But if you, like the majority of people who are looking to actively lose weight, looking to actively engage with a coach in the gym, are not looking to lose like 100 kilos and not looking to lose 80, 90 pounds. They're looking to really try and maybe lose a stone. They're looking, they're basically looking for like this, this tiny layer on top that they think they have to change, that, they, that the world has told them they should change without actually realizing that it's not going to change anything in their lives. When you're just looking to lose a stone of body weight, it's not going to impact your, it's not going to make you happy. It might impact your life, 
but it's not going to make you happy. What could make you happy is the process that goes into it and understanding everything that goes into that. What could make you happy is the amount of work you do on yourself in the meantime as you engage in trying to lose this stone. Like losing weight is like the saying I need to lose a stone is is like what someone it's like when someone asks you how much is coaching it's because they don't really know what else to ask they don't really know what else to say they, they just think it's what the world needs them to say they think it's what they're meant to work on it's what you're meant to ask you know if you don't know if you're looking at a product and you don't know really how it works what goes into it or anything else the first thing you're going to go to is well how much is it because you're going to make a judgment on that, right? Because you don't know what other questions to ask about it. You don't know if it's a car. You don't know whether to ask about it's traction control or I don't know, it's reliability or it's miles per gallon. You're just going to go, well, how much is it? Um, I don't know why I'm obsessed with cars this morning. And and that's that's very much what people say when they're like, oh, I need to lose a stone. Because they don't, they don't know how to say, I want my husband to desire me. I want to stop feeling like shit at work i want people to respect me when they ask me to do things i want people to treat me with manners i want to sleep better they don't know how to say these things so the only thing they do know how to say is because they've been bludgeoned over the head with it is you need to lose weight yeah and that's a that's a whole different discussion which we can go ahead and get right into (laughs) (laughs) here we go about like how society tells us we need to look a certain way and I uh, yeah. just this afternoon listened to Danielle's podcast and you were on it. And oh, was I, I? That's a <laughs> by the way, just a little plug for my fiance Danielle's podcast. It's called Humans Being Human. If you'd like to hear Adam again, <laughs> she was just on it and it was it was a really good episode. There was a lot. Why did you, you ask if? Me. Why did you ask if? It's not good, an if question. Good question. You're right. It is not an if question when you're done listening to this <laughs> i don't care you have to work like call out you're listening um anyway you said something in there about how what did you say oh you you were like my definition of strong is having pecs and that was such a random question she asked me i was, was like really this is gonna sound so ridiculous because, yeah it was it was a great question because it completely when, disarmed me yeah she did she seemed to me like because i asked myself that question and i had a similar answer that's an area of my body i struggle with too and yeah and then you also said like you want to look like chris pratt in uh marvel movies and i've never seen a marvel movie so i'm surprised that i said that um (laughs) (laughs) oh it was iron man you wanted to you wanted to look like robert downey jr Uh, yeah yeah i think yeah okay right yeah don't we let's be real one of them I mean, it's probably, man. in fairness, it was probably more like The Rock, the Dwayne Johnson, or or Dwayne The Rock Johnson, or it's probably a wrestler from the 1990s that I really wanted to look like, like Chris Jericho or someone rather than, um, rather than yeah, a Marvel character. But yeah, no, I, I get your point. A, a Hollywood body. Yeah, and we're forced to look at that all the time in, in our yeah. magazines, in our social media feeds, in our movies, and it's very disheartening for both men and women to see that and compare ourselves to that. And we just don't know what else to do. Like I'm not comparing myself to Frazier, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, but that, but that's because, see, it's interesting, isn't it? Cause I might not, 
I don't compare myself to Frasier physically, good old Frasier Crane, but I do compare myself to Frasier intellectually. Yeah, and that's uh, also a, an unfair comparison for most people. <laughs> I know, right? It's just like he's a written character. Like, even, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the actor now, Kelsey Grammer. Even yes. he doesn't, Sideshow Bob, even he's probably not that intelligent. And even if he is, he's one of the rare guys in the world, you know? Like, it's just not, it's just, but I think we, I mean, as much as as much as us coaches can sit here and go comparison as a thief of joy, don't compare yourself to anyone and all the rest of it. Like, it's such a human thing to do, mm-hmm. and it's so natural. And and like, you know, like and and the problem is, is long gone are the days where we're just comparing ourselves to our neighbour, you know, because now we're comparing ourselves to literally the entire world. And we feel a lot closer to these celebrities. We feel a lot closer to Wayne Rock Johnson because of his Instagram or his YouTube or whatever. We feel a lot closer to Chris Pratt because, you know, you see more of him now and you see more of who he is as a person as opposed to just his characters on stage. See, I, I, I don't compare myself to Laurence Olivier. I don't compare myself to, um, uh, I don't know, um, completely whacked my brain out there of like <laughs> another classical actor like from the day like i don't know even surrey mckellen say i don't compare myself to him because i don't feel i don't feel like he could be my friend when i've met surrey mckellen he's a lovely guy really lovely guy and it'd be nice to call him my friend but i don't feel like he's my friend even though i've met him i because i don't have this kind of close relationship with him that i see on social media a lot mm. you know I do definitely feel like someone like Wayne The Rock Johnson is my friend because I have this, because he's so transparent and open and stuff. And therefore I'm going to compare myself to him, even though the comparison couldn't be further from the truth. This is one of my big issues with the whole Mark Wahlberg um, thing that went round like about a year ago, maybe two years ago now, you know, like, oh, this is Mark Wahlberg's morning routine. And, and like, everyone was like holding this as a standard of how to behave. And it was like, up at two o'clock in the morning, eat breakfast, work out at 3 a.m., then, I don't know, go into a sauna, then work out at 5 a.m. again, then, like, get the kids up and take the kids to school and then come home and and then work out again and, and then I'm in bed by, like, 8 p.m. to start my day again at two o'clock in the morning. It was something ridiculous, right? Yeah, and, and just... what part of Mark Wahlberg's daily routine did he go into the office for eight hours? And like, no, no, right? But I, I think he put work time in there, right? I think there was work time in there, okay? But I was also like, firstly, there's no way he's doing that when he's on set, mm-hmm. okay? So when he's actually at work, there's no way he's doing that, okay? Now, it just so happens that he has to work for a six-week block once a year, whereas the rest of us have to work all year round. Yep. Um, and we're lucky to get six weeks off in a year, right? So it's just not a fair comparison. The other thing is, is as well is he probably doesn't prepare the majority of his food. He probably has someone who does that for him. Um, the other thing as well is he literally makes money sitting on his ass. Like he doesn't have to be somewhere to make money. So he can have the freedom with which to control a, a, a program like that for himself. Um, and, and it's just like, um, here we all were comparing ourselves to Mark Wahlberg, a Hollywood A-lister that 
did one film one year, made 20 million bucks from it and never has to worry about anything again in his life in terms of money, finance, roof over his head or anything like that, provided he's you know, not stupid about it. Why are we all comparing ourselves to this dumb meme that's going around as his day just because he said it on an interview once? But we're all comparing ourselves to it because Mark Wahlberg in Ted is your best mate. You know, Mark Wahlberg in other films that he's done, I haven't seen many of them, he's like your uncle, he's like your brother, he's like your cousin, he's a guy you want to hang out with, so you're going to compare yourself to him without understanding why it's such an unfair comparison. Yeah. Yeah, it's you're absolutely right. He plays a relatable character all the time, but realistically, we have no idea what he's like as a person. I've never met Mark Wahlberg in my life. He could be I've a total asshole. I don't know. He could be a great guy. Who knows? But on a much smaller scale, it's kind of like, it's why I hate the uh, Instagram posts of like what I eat in a day because oh, it's always so carefully laid Subjective. out. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's also very different for different people. Like someone is a 100 pound woman who eats a very small amount. And it's like, wow, I should eat like that. And another one's like a 350 pound man who's like 90% muscle mass. And you're like, wow, I should eat like that, but you shouldn't. And uh, the other thing is that that's not how those people eat every single day. That's just what they chose to show you for that one single day for Instagram. And so totally many true. people fail to realize that. You don't want to see what I eat in a day. Cause it no. just make you think, <laughs> I literally eat um, those like mini pack of Oreos every day. I love them. And like, right. I just have one and it's fine, but I think it's a lot of people would human, be shocked to hear that. I eat that every day. Actually, probably not because I did a whole thing like a year ago where I posted every single thing that I ate for like three months and it was very realistic. And people were like, wow, you eat Taco Bell? And I'm like, fuck yeah, I do love Taco Bell. (laughs) Yeah. And why wouldn't you? I, yeah, I mean, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I do coaching calls drinking a beer and my clients are like, what are you doing? I'm like, it's, just late at night, I'm having a beer. Is that a problem? They're like, oh, that's fine. Okay, cool. Let's move on. And it's like, you know, like obviously there's a professional standard that you should, like you should be professional, but it's, you know, it, it became a thing actually every Sunday night. I used to have one client, uh, like an in-person client. And we used to do like a, a quick 15 minute power up call thing. And it actually became a joke where she was like, are you getting a beer first or should we start the call? And I was like, oh no, no, I need to go get my beer. And, and it just went on. And and, you know, as much as you might think we can't drink beer in a meeting at work, it also is important because my clients realize I'm a human and mm-hmm. they realize that I'm drinking beer, they can drink beer. And if I'm, if I'm going to say to them, you can eat flexibly and still achieve your goals, then I have to, I have to be a pillar of that attitude as much as someone who might say you have to be keto to achieve your goals has to be a pillar of eating keto. Um, so yeah, like, and I much prefer definitely being able to eat flexibly and being a pillar of flexibly and being a pillar of something as restrictive as keto. Yeah. (laughs) One definitely makes me happy and one definitely (laughs) makes me happy. And that's why you coach your clients that way is because you know that it makes them happy instead of the celery juice coach. And again, I would think that if the celery coach was being a pillar of the celery juice diet, fuck, they'd be really unhappy. And <laughs> and, but, and, and also like, 
The other thing as well is this is just what you're seeing. So that particular client always booked the call at that particular time on a Sunday night. And it just so happened that that was the same sort of time I would drink a beer. Do you know what I mean? Like, and that's just what she saw. So her warped view of what I ate was all I do is drink beer. Like literally she, she thought all I did was drink beer because that's all she ever saw me eat, right? But she never saw me like, she never saw like the other 80% of the day where I put together a diet that was congruent to my goals. You know, she never saw, she never saw the smoothie I had for breakfast every morning. She never saw the porridge I'd eat. She never saw the salad for lunch I'd be kicking down and stuff like that because I don't share that because I don't think one, I don't see how seeing what I eat inspires anyone to be honest. Um, I, I just don't see that as a, I don't see that as a helpful teaching post at all. No disrespect to those who do do it, but I don't think it helps my my followers in any way, shape, or form to see what I eat in a day. For the same reasons you listed, they're not me. I'm not them. We're two completely different humanoids. Exactly. Um, um like everybody is different, and everybody is different. Uh, so it's just, it's it, it's almost like I'm with those posts it's almost like you're going well look at me you know how good am i it's like I'm, I'm not good i'm just a human um but yeah and and i get this a lot of the time with other people it's like you know how people always say oh you know but all they do is eat pizza and they still lose weight and it's like no all they do isn't eat pizza and still lose weight all you see is them eating pizza and them losing weight because the only time upon which you're exposed to see what they're eating is it's probably a family member that they're saying this about is when as a family you're enjoying pizza right and that's all you ever see so your warped view of their diet is only ever what you see from someone therefore like if you really dig in and really live with them for a day and see what they ate, ate each and every day you'd see that that is definitely not the truth yeah, we definitely see people through a smaller lens than actually exists. And it's kind of like how we were just talking about with Mark Wahlberg, like he has that daily routine and that was his day, but he doesn't talk about all his, um, I don't know, after filming parties where he probably goes out on a rager and has a great time and yep. like, good for Mark, Mark Wahlberg, enjoy that. But we he, don't he get definitely... to see that. He definitely doesn't do that at the Cannes Film Festival. I've been to the Cannes Film Festival and nobody is up at 2, 3 a.m. working out. I Believe me. <laughs> I believe that 100%. <laughs> well, this has been uh, awesome. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on? I, 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 I could touch on everything and anything, my friend. Um, so, uh, no, I just, I, I has has the, the the talk been real i think it has been very real we talked yeah. about um mark Wahlberg being a real person <laughs> and we talked about <laughs> us being real people and celery juice uh we had a lot of weird analogies in there but it was pretty great um so where can people find you uh anywhere where they can type in the gym starter it would appear so uh instagram's a pretty good space uh tiktok has just been nuts uh, recently and um, is incredibly fun and time consuming, but fun. And yeah, so TikTok's a good place or, but I, I think my most valuable content um, and my best work is probably on my website, on my blog, which is www.thegymstarter.com. Um, and you can head there and, and read my blogs on any number of helpful topics. Um, 
or you can go there and, and download a free calorie calculator i get a whole month of free workouts and loads of other helpful goodies as well um so yeah just google the gym starter and i should show up Fantastic. Lots of free stuff there. I love it. So when you are done listening to this episode, first of all, leave it a five-star review. And if you didn't like it, just don't review it at all. And then you can hear Adam again on the Humans Being Human podcast, which you will do as we discuss. It is not an if. And I hope you enjoy this episode and I hope you enjoy that episode. And Adam, just thank you so much for coming on and having some real talk with me. Oh, my absolute pleasure. I'm glad I, I'm glad we was able to live up to the monocle. Um, oh, definitely. <laughs> real talk. I, I was scared about that. And I'm glad, I'm glad we hit that very high bar. Definitely lived up to the expectation. I love it. <laughs> Good stuff, my man. Thanks for having me. Really Absolutely. appreciate it.